This is Emmanuel Today, taking steps toward God's possible in your life. On today's program, we conclude the Compelled by Love series with a message entitled, Fist Bump. You can make a difference in this world. No matter your age, your income, your story, you can discover the joy of making a difference. Let's join Dr. Nate Roosh right now. So today, the title of my message is this, Fist Bump. Fist bump. How many of you have ever heard of Usain Bolt? The fa- Usain Bolt, the fastest man in the whole world. He is one of those guys, a Jamaican runner, that is super fast. Several world records, Olympic records, fast, 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 freaky fast. He should work for Jimmy John's, you know what I'm saying? He's super fast. And the thing about him is, is that that uh, he spent his whole, and those athletes spend their whole life from one small moment. They get in the starting blocks, and they take off, and for 10 seconds, they run the race of their life that they spent years preparing and training for. And the thing about Usain Bolt is because he was popular and anticipated that when he would get on the Olympic stage, everybody was looking at him. Even though there were other runners, they were all looking at Usain Bolt. And they're thinking about what's he going to do this time? How is he going to work this time? All the cameras are in, locked in on him on TV. The commentators are talking about Usain Bolt. And he's going to, what's he going to do this time? And Usain Bolt, the coolest thing about him is he's legendary for this now. But he actually notices other people around him. And one time he pauses in the Olympics and he decides to notice the volunteer lane official right behind him. And as he, he turns around, he does something. He gives the guy a fist bump. Okay? Now, I want you to see this. I'm going to show a clip to you real quick. But I want you to see the impact of a fist bump in this moment. When nobody else was noticing this guy, he noticed him. And something happens to his face. In fact, watch what happens to this lane official's face after Usain Bolt turns around. Go ahead. Show the clip. The only man in history to double back and win the Olympic 100 and 200 double twice. He did it in Beijing. Tom, there are a few athletes in the past four years. Now that's the look, right? How powerful is a look like that? The fastest man in the world slows down to give this guy attention. And this is what I want you to consider today. That you and I, we can slow down enough to notice the people in our life that we can give a fist bump and change somebody's world. That we can notice people and the impact goes on even though it's behind our back. Even though we don't notice it, it has a lingering effect on another person's life. What did he do? He turned and fist bumped a guy and he encouraged somebody. And today I want to encourage you, you can make a difference in the world. Not just through a fist bump, obviously. But God has designed every single one of his children to be a blessing to the world. You're not meant just to receive the blessing of God. You're meant to give God's love away one fist bump at a time. I believe that God wants to partner with us to put smiles on people's faces. It's like a special joy can be released, not only from you to that person, but between you and God. That when you learn to partner with heaven, and you've served, and you've loved, and you've taken care of people, it can be like this. You just help somebody out, and you're like, all right, God, what's up? There's a smile, a relationship, a rhythm that you can have. You aren't meant just to receive the fist bump of heaven. The kingdom of God doesn't just go in you. It has to come out of you. 
And it's just like what Paul said to the church in a city called Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. It says this, either way, Christ's love controls, some versions say compel. Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. This is a powerful statement. It says, Christ's love compels us. Because God loved us, we must do something. There's something, there's a reaction, there's a result, there's a next step, there's a chain reaction that takes place because his love compels us. And it says, because he died for us and he died for everyone. He died for every person in every place on the planet. North and South America and Central America and Asia and Europe. He even died for people in Antarctica. Come on, somebody. Just this morning, I was talking to one of our, our watchmen, and he was sharing his faith story with me and how he got saved. He, his wife came to know Jesus before he did. She gave him a book and some scriptures to read, and he was in the Coast Guard. So she shoved some books and scriptures in his back, and he took off for the bottom part of the world. Antarctica's on the bottom of the world. And here he is on this long journey, and he starts reading the scriptures, and he becomes aware that there's a real and a loving God that loved him so much that he surrendered his life to Jesus, and he would never be the same again. He got saved in Antarctica. Come on, somebody. It was on the other side of the world. This is why I'm saying when Jesus died, Jesus died for everyone, everywhere, at any time, no matter your status or your backdrop or whatever you've gone through, you need to know he loves you. And because he loves you, Paul is saying this to the church in, in Corinth, then you've got to be compelled to give his love away to those that are around you, be an expression of him. It's just that chain reaction. And the problem is this, the old way, the old kingdom, if you will, the old operating system that we have lives for itself. And when we live for ourselves, we hurt ourselves. When we live for ourselves, we hurt ourselves. We're missing out on something. We become something different than we could and should be. It's really about the realm of the heart. And Jesus was really interested in what goes on in your heart. It's the control room of your soul, your story. Even religious people can become empty when they live for themselves. And Jesus was talking about a group of religious people in Matthew chapter 23. He's addressing these religious leaders. He says this, what sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside but filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. Outwardly, you look like righteous people, but inwardly, your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. Jesus is looking at religious people, and though they once maybe began with a good start, something happened to their heart along the way. And he compares it to being dead on the inside, but looking okay on the outside. He even uses the term hypocrite. And hypocrite is a theatrical term for those that would act, and they would put a, a mask over their face, and they would portray a character that really wasn't them. And Jesus was saying that's what religious people can become like. They can have the face of religion but have a heart that is cold and dead. 
And furthermore, he says, if you live this way, you'll become lawless. You won't even love the things of God, the kingdom of God any longer, because it's not in you anymore. And the more you love something that isn't of God, the more you walk away from God, and lawlessness reigns. I believe that we have to be careful about the kingdoms of our heart. We need to make sure that we don't let our hearts become those dead bones behind the wall. Amen? That we don't become what Jesus talked about. There's a solution that Jesus provides, and he talks a little bit about this through a real-life story. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 21. Luke chapter 21. Pull out your Bibles. This is a real-life story. He walks. He's in the temple or in the church. And this is what happens in Luke chapter 21, verse 1. While Jesus was in the temple, he watched the rich people dropping their gifts in the collection box. And then a poor widow came by and dropped in two small coins. I tell you the truth, Jesus said, this poor widow has given more than all the rest of them. For they have given a tiny part of their surplus, but she, poor as she is, has given everything she has. Now, this is not a parable. This is an actual moment. And clearly, Jesus is teaching three things here. I want you to just notice these real quick. First, God watches and notices my giving. And I want to be careful here to, to, to say it this way. I'm not just talking about financial giving in a church. But God watches our giving what we're doing with what he's given us and trusted us with. What are we doing? But he watches it. He sees it. He says right there that he's watching in the temple. And he notices the giving because the giving is a reflection of the heart. Remember I said he's into our heart. So he's more concerned about what's going on inside of here. In fact, earlier in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, he said, Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures where? In heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. So in other words, your heart follows where you put your treasure. You put your treasure in something, the heart follows after it. And Jesus notices those things because he's interested in where's the status of your heart. Secondly, God has a perspective about my giving. In other words, he knows my capacity. He's not interested in a ritualistic drop of whatever amount in the plate and moving on. He's more interested in the capacity. In this story, he watched the rich people deposit their money. I would guess they gave a lot more than the two coins that the widow gave. They actually gave a total amount more than she gave. But Jesus is addressing what they could have given or where their heart was. And I want to just say this to you, that as we move along in life and we accumulate more and income grows and perhaps your career grows and there's more responsibilities under you, those things that are practices in your life that are uh, giving practices, if you will, or they are, they are practices of just uh, discipline that you have, then I want, I want you to consider that you can't just think like you did when you were younger. You need to continue to let your heart be engaged in the present tense kingdom of God. These people, maybe they had a vacation home and they took 
big, long trips, and they poured a lot of money into the things they have. And by the way, God's not against you going on vacation or owning a vacation home or having a boat. He's not against those things. But let me, let me just say this. As you pour your heart through your money into those things, and then you put your generosity giving into something else, God notices the difference. He notices the distinction, the capacity level. And so what I would say is, is that you need to know Jesus sees it, okay? You need to know he sees it. And it's not about equal gifts, it's about equal sacrifice. Third, God loves an all-in heart. He loves an all-in heart. But she, poor as she is, has given everything she has. He notices that she's in with her heart. And all in doesn't mean forever not having anything. It means my heart is in the kingdom. Jesus has a desire that we keep loving the kingdom throughout our journey so that our heart remains all in. Some of you have come to church, maybe it's your first time, you're like, oh geez, here I go to church and all the pastor does is talk about money. And I would just say to you, you're missing the point today because that's not, I'm, my goal isn't let's generate a big, big money and you given a lot of what you have. But what I do want you to catch, God is really interested in your heart. He's very interested in the, the, the inner part of who you are and what's going on there. And by the way, he wants to strengthen your heart. He doesn't want your heart to fall apart or become callous or become brutal. He doesn't want you to become somebody that doesn't care about other people. He wants you to have a generous heart that's willing to give that fist bump away to the rest of the world. So how can we join the fist bump with heaven? Let me give you three things. How you can join the fist bump of heaven. First, trust the kingdom first. Everybody say that with me. Trust the kingdom first. Matthew 6, Jesus said, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and then all these other things will be added to you or given to you. We are to trust him first. And the love that you feed becomes greater than your other loves. So I'm saying love him first because it should be the thing that grows over time. And holding on to what you have because you're afraid of losing something is a term called scarcity. It's a natural self-protecting action and it puts your heart in a mode of isolation. Let me speak to a group of people here today that maybe you're like me. I grew up and I had a scarcity thought process. Still have to battle that in my, my story. I'm afraid if I give away my time, I won't have any left. If I give away my resources, I won't have any left. And sometimes it's because you're raised up in poverty or you're raised up in a place where you don't have enough. So you're afraid once it does come in, there's no way you want to give it away. But let me tell you this. That can become an obstacle when it comes to being connected to God's kingdom. Because your heart, your heart moves into isolation when you're holding on in scarcity. You become somebody who withdraws from opportunity, loving kindness, things that you could have with other people. You withdraw from the relational places that you're meant to deposit God's glory in other places, and you withdraw. You're in isolation. And generosity begins with trust in God, trusting that he owns everything. So if you're going to move out of that, you got to begin with trusting God. And trust in God is a way moving forward to leave scarcity behind you. Can I get an amen to that? 
when you are a good manager or a steward, as the Bible talks about, of what God entrusts you with, you are free to partner with him in his plans. And the more that he sees you are generously loving the people and the places he loves, the more he will give to you. In other words, I think you can have a relationship with God in such a place that as you trust him, you have a rhythm of your whole life in partnership with God. You don't separate God on Sunday from the rest of your week. You don't separate God from your work. You don't separate God from your your stuff. You are serving God in everything. And as you learn to partner with him, and he sees that as he gives you more, you're willing to give more, guess what he wants to do again? He wants to give you more. Because he knows whatever he gives you is gonna bless the world around you. Historically, the, the trust process began in the Bible, in the Old Testament, with a principle that God told the people of Israel called the tithe. The tithe is not a spiritual word. It simply means 10%. And the Israelites were to worship and love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And what they needed to do as a practice of keeping their heart loving God is that they gave God the first 10% of whatever they earned. Now listen, this was not a kind of church tax. This was not some way for them just to raise money for the church. Some of you might think when you hear a minister talk about a tithe, oh, there the pastor goes again. All he wants is my money, right? And the truth is, my my income is fixed, friends. It's not going to go up or down based on where your offerings are. I'm I'm not determined by that, okay? But in the Old Testament, it was not about the priests. It was about the people and their relationship with God. For they discovered that if they gave God the first 10%, maybe they were a farmer, and there was the first 10% of their crops, they didn't have any money. Or they gave whatever it may have been. It could have been their their, uh, money. It could have been whatever resources they had. That first 10%, that meant there was 90% left over. And the people of Israel were promised by God that if they would give him the first 10%, the other 90% would go further than 100% kept to themselves. Because they could trust God with everything. That 10% represented saying, God, you own it all. You own it all. And so I'm willing to go on the journey of partnership with you. And I love the fact that it's a decimal point, if you will. It's a 10%. Because it doesn't matter how much you own, it's just 10%. You're just growing in your journey with God. I don't know about you, but in the next decade of my life, I want to grow in my relationship with God. That means as I grow and if he entrusted me with more, guess what, Ten, first 10% goes to him because I trust him with everything. And even when there's bad news and there's a layoff or something happens in the, in the job market, I know he's got my back. It's a very difficult place to be when there's a job loss or there's an economic collapse and I am not in a place where I'm trusting God, where I'm in that moment and I'm going, I don't know if God's gonna be there for me. Because my heart hasn't been trusting him all along. You hear what I'm saying? So for some of you in here today, I would just say this. If you're going to take the step and learn to follow through of the tithe, that 10%, and you're like, that is too overwhelming of a number for me. Why don't you start with 1% or 2%? Start feeding that love in your heart for trusting God. Start on the journey where you can begin to trust God. And I believe if you test God, he will take care of you. How many of you have found that he'll take care of you? You can trust him. 
You can trust him. You can. If I only share what I have because I feel guilty or momentarily feel sorry for someone, my heart is in trouble. Some people give to others so that they feel good about themselves. Then they expect something back from those people. And that's called love with a hook. God's love is generous without a hook. Amen? You can fully release your love through the giving of your time, your care, and your resources when you know that God will take care of all your needs. And a love unattended, if you aren't doing this, becomes a love that will die. Secondly, how can we keep that partnership of the fist bump with heaven? Go above and beyond the tithe trust and see the opportunity. Go above and beyond the tithe trust. I've kind of tithed, tithed with the word trust here. Go beyond the tithe trust and begin to see the opportunity of generosity beyond that. Paul said, I'm compelled or controlled by Christ's love to trust God with my needs, and I'm willing to invest my time, my influence, and my resources in his kingdom priorities. It's learning to follow through and see what he sees, to join the joy of meeting the needs of others. Did you know that God loves to meet the needs of others? And historically in the church, people have caught the vision of it and they've started hospitals and orphanages and school clubs and communities and helping kids, dealing with after school issues and at-risk kids and taking care of them. And he would do all kinds of stuff. All the Christians would do this because the love of Christ compelled them to see a vision beyond themselves and they invested themselves into the community around them. Uh, just this week I heard a startling stat that is something near 80% of all the kids that are uh, caught up in trafficking in America were at one point in the foster care system. 80%. That's startling, friends. It's in our communities around us. This is why I am so proud and want to champion over and over again all the families in our church that are investing in foster care kids and in adoption. I am so proud of you. You guys are amazing. You are investing in the generation around you and you care about the kids. Yes. Sacrifice is giving up what you love for something you love more. Sacrifice is giving up something that you love for something that you love more. We want to see our time, our money as a fist bump with heaven when we take care of people that are around us. And by the way, when you do that, when you're giving, and it's not just financially, obviously, it's your time, your service, your love, and your care for people, something happens in the realm of your heart. I love what our founding pastor, Mark Dennis, would say. He said, he said this, and he said actually frequently, Giving takes the greed out of your heart. Isn't that good? And giving has a way of changing your heart. When you're generous, it changes you, not just the people around you. And when you can see it and jump into it, it's powerful. Number three, join Jesus in his kingdom plan. Join Jesus in his kingdom. Don't just see it, but jump into it. There's a great joy in releasing my plans into God's hands. And Jesus said this, this way. He said, nevertheless, not my will be done, but whose? But yours be done. There's something about giving up my agenda for his agenda. There is joy in surrendering what you love for something that you love more. Let me give you an example. 
How many of you know that I like the game of football? All right. I have loved football for a long time. I played it way back in the day. And, uh, and then I started coaching, and I love coaching, and I'm into football. I could watch any football game. doesn't matter who the teams are. I'm into the strategy of it and what they're doing and what the coaches are doing. When I watch a game, I'm into the game. And then uh, the time came when, when Jody came into my life. And uh, how many know there's another love, right? And, uh, and I, I can tell you when I knew something was changing in my heart. That was when we went to a Vikings game. And we're sitting at the Vikings game and we're watching the game. Now, ordinarily, when I'm watching the game, if I'm with a group of fellas, I'm watching everything. I'm watching what the line is doing, what the coaches are doing, the strategizing of it. I'm looking at the field. I'm not talking to people next to me. In fact, if I am, I'm going, hey, did you see that? Hey, did you see that? But my eyes do not leave the field. And then Jody comes into the story and we're sitting next to him. How many know Jody wants attention? Right? I knew that something was going on in my heart when I didn't know what was going on in the field. And all I was doing was talking to Jody. Because one love swallowed up the other. One love was bigger than the other. One love became greater than the other. With God's kingdom and with the people around us, we have a choice of which loves we will feed. We have a choice of which love will become greater. And I'm telling you this, there's a joy when you begin to catch a picture of how much God loves people and how much God wants to use you to touch people and how you can make a difference in fist bumping the world that's around you. There is a joy in that because now when you get up on Monday morning, it's like, Lord, what's up? And then you go through the day and you're noticing people around you and you're like, I want to meet the need. You get into the need because God's spirit is leading you and because you are compelled by his love, you're willing to sacrifice. You're willing to open a door for somebody. You're willing to pick up something that someone dropped. You're willing to bless people instead of curse them while you're driving. Come on, somebody. I'm preaching to myself right now. You're willing to love people, and now as you do, after you're done, you're like, boom, boom, boom. Today is a three-fist bump with heaven day. Today is a great day because I'm not doing this alone. I'm with the Spirit of God. I'm doing what he wants me to be doing. Thank you for listening to Emmanuel Today. You can learn more about the various ministries that Emmanuel offers and see Sunday services live every week. Check out emmanuelcc.org for details. Please be sure to tell others about this broadcast that they could enjoy next week at this same time.